Hello, this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're looking at memory, including what really happens when you recall something. How false memories can be created. And the everyday tricks we can all use to improve our memory. Oh, yes, please to that. Let's get on with the show. Richard, can I ask about your memory? So Stephen Fry said that he has a sticky brain, so he sees mm. something once and and it just stays in there. What about you? Uh, I've got sort of a more of a sort of non-stick frying pan of a brain. Teflon brain. A Teflon brain. I, I forget a great deal. Um, I've got quite good visual memory, but I've got a terrible verbal memory, particularly short-term verbal memory. If you read out sort of 10 objects, I'd be lucky to remember one of them, which is why I'm so fascinated by memory. There's a whole thing in psychology that you're fascinated by the area of psychology that you yourself have the least ability in, which is certainly true if you've ever um, spoken to any psychologist interested in personality. <laughs> They are. Who are all listening. They're all listening. Please write in and complain. (laughs) Um, But uh, so no, so I'm interested in memory and I have a a fairly awful memory. How is your memory? I used to be that smug kid who Mm. had the sticky brain, but now it's like the sellotape's been dropped on the carpet too many times. And it's it's really bad because I don't have the strategies that other people might have Mm. for Memoring, 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 right. memoring, 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 remembering it either. What we're really doing is storytelling. We're watching the event we want to see. We're putting a narrative on it. That's going into our brain, which means some information is lost instantly and other information is emphasised and sometimes added to that narrative. And then we remember it. We're telling normally a story to somebody, uh, again, using a narrative. So, So really, memories are our version of what happened, not what actually happened. Some people think, oh, Memories are like a film camera, a video camera or something like that. You know, they're they're really accurate recordings. And of course, the whole legal system depends on that notion. Really not true. Really not true. We can trip ourselves up very easily. Is that just you saying that because you've got a really bad memory? Uh, partly. <laughs> it's all made up. It's all very, it all sounds Trust very woolly. no one. Certainly not <laughs> me when I remember anything. Uh, no, no, I, this is backed up by decades, centuries of psychological research. So, I mean, psychologists would be out of business if our memories were really good. Certainly those studying memory, because you wouldn't have anything to study. You, know, you give people a list of words, they remember them. What are you going to do? There's, there's very few papers you can write about that. So psychologists are very interested in, in biases, in people getting things wrong. And when it comes to memory, misremembering, because suddenly there's some, some work to be done. Can I just check something with you? So back in university, a friend of mine got really angry that we taught him the definition of palimpsest um, because he said that's taken up valuable space in my brain and there are other things that I'm not going to remember because now I know that 
what a wax tablet is that you can um, right. sort of, or, or was it a papyrus scroll? You see, that's my memory gone that's now. That's your memory gone. Um, I think of all the things to have a sense of anxiety about, that wouldn't be top of my list. But it was it was like, in his case, he thought of his memory as yes. this computer hard drive. Well, that, that's true of short-term memory. So if you remember, I don't know, seven words and another one comes in, you normally lose one. But in terms of long-term memory, no, actually, we've got phenomenal memories. So there was some work done in the early 70s with only one or two participants. Most studies use, you know, 50, 100, whatever. Um, but there's only one or two because they gave them 10,000 images to remember. Not at the same time. Over a big computer screen. Uh, there was like one at a time serial uh, presentation, 10,000 images over several days. Then they gave it a break for a couple of days, gave them two images and said, which one have you, have, have you seen before? And that allows them to figure out how many of the 10,000 they've got in their heads. Oh, that's clever. It's very clever because you don't have to show them all 10,000. You just show a random subset. And the answer was that around about 65 70% of the images, even they're only shown for a fraction of a second, already in their heads. So we have, in terms of visual memory, absolutely kind of a huge capacity. Verbal memory, not so much. So it, it really does depend on, on what type of memory. Can I uh, kick us off with some questions because we've got a thousand to get through? We've got a thousand questions to get through. Uh, let's, so, let's do one. So this one's from Close to Home. This is from producer Kate, and she's wondering whether she can trust her memories or not. So Kate says there are certain memories that she has. She's not sure whether she was actually there, uh, whether she just saw a photo, or whether she was told a story about the event. How can she work out what's a real memory and what is a story that her brain has just kind of told her because it made sense? It, it's a good question. And so I have a little demo here. So we're going to get to this question in a second. Meanwhile, I'm going to test your memory, if I may. Sure. Yes. As long as you let me win. Uh, absolutely. Cool. Uh, that's, it's almost psychology experiments are constructed like that. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a list of words which I'm going to read out. Uh, listen to these and see if you can remember them. Here we go. There's quite a few of them. So door, pane, open, frame, breeze, screen, Glass, house, curtain, view, sash, shutter. Okay, now we're not going to test your memory for the minute, so you're fine. You can let that percolate away. So if I were to immediately say, tell me the words, that would be short-term memory. Um, but we're not going to do that. We're going to let them just sort of sink in, and then we're going to return to them in a moment. You look absolutely terrified. I wish I hadn't started. <laughs> it's because... They've already sort of cooked themselves into a windowish soup in, right. my, in my brain. Yes, that's, that's, that's a shame. That's a, that's a good soup to, to be supping from. So, um, so false memory stuff goes back goes back a, a long way. But in terms of more recent psychology, Elizabeth Loftus, uh, who's a friend of mine actually and a wonderful psychologist, and Elizabeth was doing sort of stuff originally on computation and the brain. Got a little bit bored with that, and she's a big fan of Columbo. You know, the, yep. the kind of crime. Good, good woman. Yes, absolutely, and, 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 and true crime stories and so on. So she thought, I'll try and do something that links my work with this area that I'm interested in. And she decided to look at eyewitness testimony and memory. And then at one point, she does this groundbreaking study, very famous study, where she shows people a video of a car crash and then afterwards puts people into two groups. She says to one group... How fast was the, the, were the two cars going uh, when they hit one another? The other group, she says, how fast were the cars going when they smashed into 
one another. And that very simple wording change, hit versus smashed, means they create different memories. Suddenly, one is a small collision and the other is a big car crash. In terms of you know, the speed, you know, smashed, they say, oh, I'm much, much faster than hit. So it's a really neat demo that we're not remembering what we're seeing, we're constructing it on the basis of all sorts of cues. And that's the basis for the false memory research. So how can you get around that? Well, well I mean, the, the, one of the questions is how easily these things are formed. I mean, that's, that's just on two words. Um, on some of the research by a colleague of mine, uh, Dan Gurney, we looked at uh, gestures. So if you say to somebody, if they see a, a, a sort of nasty uh, crime, and then you go, so how big was the knife that you saw? And you give an open gesture, their estimates for that knife are much, much larger than if you use a small gesture. Oh, so um, that's got implications for police interviews. Huge, Huge because the police may not realise they're doing it. Okay. So we're all gesturing, and, and, and sometimes these are creating false memories. Now, now once the person said it... So, so yeah. I should say for people listening to this that you've got your, your hands quite far apart, yes. and so that's an enormous... That's like a machete. That's like a machete. And it's, it's Whereas if you put your hands quite close together, that's, that's right. a paring knife. That, exactly, exactly. Now, what's interesting is once people have given that answer... Next time they recall, what we're normally doing is recalling, not the original event, they're recalling the last time they recalled it. So a few of those, and now people are going to be certain they saw a big knife, a little knife, because the next time they recall it, they're not going to remember the gesture, they're not going to remember the original, they're remembering what they last remembered. And that was the idea that Elizabeth Loftus used as well. So she took people, um, she said, we've sp uh, spoken to your parents and they remember when you were a kid that you got lost in a shopping mall, shopping centre. Can you tell us about that? And normally people say, I don't really remember it. And I said, no, no, I've spoken to your parents and you're out three or four. Um, you must remember it. No, I don't. They'll come back again and go, can you remember that shopping mall thing? A couple of those and then people start to recall this non-existent um, event. So you can plant plant memories. Absolutely. Fair, in a fairly straightforward way. And, and then uh, Kimberly Wade took it one stage further where she mocked up photographs of kids going on balloon rides. So, so here's a picture of you on a, in a balloon. Do you remember the hot air balloon? Because so, so, she'd got these pictures of the, the kids, uh, again, from the parents, and then photoshopped their face onto a hot air balloon trip that never happened. Lo and behold, they start to remember this trip. So, I love that how, how much of psychology research is basically just lying to people in really imaginative ways. That's, that's pretty much what it comes down to. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is the interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, most psychology research is pretty dull because you, you tell the truth to people. But no, what Kimberly did was great. At, it was they went to the parents and said, have you got any pictures of this, this, this participant when they're a child? Took out the face, put it on the hot air balloon thing. Do you remember that? Oh, I'm not certain. Well, I have a go. And then you do that a few times and suddenly these detailed memories start to come out. So it's it's all against this position that that when we remember something, we're remembering what happened. We're not. We're remembering the last time we recalled it, and that's open to all sorts of distortions. If people are in a police interview or other situations where they're asked to recall stuff under stress, say, for example, someone's just given you a list of window-related words. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> can they what develop... What sort of person would do something like that? Person? What kind of monster, what kind of window-related monster would and, do something and like can that? And I, can I say that in that situation and the being interviewed by cops, both on a level equally... Absolutely. ..equally stressful, yes. um, are they more likely to develop false memories? Well, 
what what the, the if the anxiety makes them feel uncertain then absolutely so if people aren't certain maybe i did get lost in a shopping mall or hot air blue i sort of remember something like that it's the uncertainty where you can then grow these things and so if in that interview they feel very anxious they feel very worried and therefore feel a bit less certain about what actually happened then then absolutely and so the police need to be, well, if anyone interviewing anyone, needs to be really, really careful that basically, that, I mean, the, the other side of this is often, you know, we try to be pleasant to one another in conversations. So if someone is asking you to do something, you might just go along with it. And, and then once it's out there once, that's what you're going to be remembering in the future. Oh, so actually good cop might work. Yeah, I mean, it, you're just, you know, someone, you obviously had something to do with the incident, otherwise you wouldn't be there. And you want to make this person happy, and, and your role is to be a witness and, and so on. So, so people are quite susceptible. It's, it's very, very difficult to rely on, on human testimony under those conditions. This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, and we're talking about memory. So hearing just how fallible it seems our memories are, is there anything that we can do to kind of reinforce our memories, so sort of improve it? Um, we've, we've got a question from listener Catherine. I would love to know um, how I can improve my memory, because mine is, is really bad. I think people ask me, what did I do two days ago? And often I really can't remember. Um, and even if I've been to an event or um, gone somewhere with friends and they can remember it clearly and it takes me a while to get there. So any advice there would be great. Well, I, I think like lots of people just struggling with, with memory, certainly uh, I do. And part of it is to try or part of it is to attend in the first place. So just often we just don't simply attend to events and therefore they're not in our heads. But second is trying to make... What do you mean attend? Like not look at our phones? Well, imagine you're meeting somebody at a party and they say, my name is whatever. Often we don't even listen. So in the first instance, because we're overwhelmed as a new person, they're saying, look out the way they're dressed and whatever. We don't even listen in, in, in the first instance. So that that's definitely uh, part of it. But also... What's coming in is often meaningless. It's, it's hard. And so the, the key to it is to somehow make it meaningful. And I was going through my old uh, scrapbooks when I was a, a kid, and I realised that I'd done that, uh, or a version of it, when I was about eight years old. So uh, I've written down here. So this would be the essentially binary sequence that I'm trying to remember, which would be 1-1, 2-2, 1-2, 1-1, 1-2, 2-1, 1-2. Now, you've got no chance of remembering that. But all these years later, it sticks in my mind. And the reason is because of this little ditty that uh, was obviously going around my school at the time, which was 1-1 one, one was a racehorse, 2-2 two, two was 1-2, one, 1-1-1-1 one, 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 one race, 2-2-1-1-2. Two, two, one, one, two. Now, when you take out the digits from that, you get the binary thing you're trying to remember. A very little simple demonstration. Uh, and it just means you've, you've made this meaningless thing meaningful. And that's often the key to lots of these mnemonics. Is that why... Uh, so I went to the, the European Memory Championship. Right. And I watched people trying to memorise... I intended to go. Oh, my God, it was so good. Right. It was yeah. so good. Forgot all about it. Hey! hey! <laughs> well, there were people that turned up the week after, furious. <laughs> 
Oh, I can't anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, some, some, but everyone was good at slightly different tests. And right. so there was there was one that was memorise a deck of cards as fast as yes. you can. Yeah. Uh, there was one that was just a page of binary and it was ones yes. and zeros and just a page. Yeah. And, and for me, that would be the most pointless. I, you can't make a, a meaning out of that. Well, you can if you chunk it because if, if you put it together in groups. So with binary, you've either got zero, one, one, zero, one, one or zero, zero. One one was a racehorse. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, that's going to be in your mind now uh, yeah. for the rest of time. Uh, two two was one two. Mm-hmm. One 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 race. Mm-hmm. Two two one one two. No two two one one two. I got the end oh, bit wrong. Oh, you're out of the memory championship. Absolutely. So so if you chunk it in into that, so so instantly uh, each of those two things becomes a single piece of information, and then you can start to chunk the chunks, and that's how they're doing that. So they're, they're grouping it and then coming up with some kind of mnemonic for each group and in each groups of groups, which is kind of incredible. I mean, I just can't get over the why they're doing that. Oh, that's a different question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I yeah. can't separate that out and that's possibly no, why I'd fail at the time. I would imagine it's a bit like a magic convention. As long as nobody asks the why question, we're all fine. <laughs> okay. And then the moment somebody says that, it just goes very quiet uh, in the room. Uh, but the other thing they'll be doing is, is using visualisation. Uh, which is my my second test. We're going to return to the uh, the first one later on. But here's my uh, group of uh, little words here. Here we go. You do have to remember these. Okay. I'll try to. Bedroom, zebra, hat, chair, cup, telephone, sandwich, socks. Now, that that's that's kind of tricky. Yeah. So here's my little tip on remember. It's we're going to form a visual scene. Okay, and the more bizarre it can be, the better. Okay. So we're going to start off with a bedroom. So imagine your your bedroom. Yep. Got that. And I want you to put a huge zebra, or a full-size zebra, a normal zebra, into your bedroom. There's too much clutter in my bedroom. Can I use a like a different bedroom? Yeah, yeah. use, okay. your, use your favourite bedroom. I, I'll use a neater yes. bedroom. Okay, is it an actual bedroom or is it an imaginary bedroom? It doesn't matter, but... Um, I think it might be a hotel bedroom. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So you've got a zebra in there. Yep. And the zebra's wearing a hat. Okay. And it's going to be a ridiculous hat. Yeah. So what kind of hat is it on your zebra? It's got feathers in it. Lovely. Now the zebra gets a bit bored, you know what it's like in those hotels, tries to jump over a chair. Yep. Makes it so it wins a cup. Suddenly, uh, the telephone rings because it's room service in the hotel and they bring up a sandwich. But it is the worst sandwich in the world because it's just like two bits of bread with socks in between. Oh, and, uh, yes, terrible. We've all been in those hotels. <laughs> you look down the room service, you go, I'll go with a sock sandwich. Mm, um, very so, high in fibre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they always come in twos. Uh, so, um, so now we've formed that, that image. Now try and remember the word list. Okay. Uh, bedroom, zebra, hat, chair, uh, cup... Telephone. I don't know whether the sandwich is in there and socks. See? You've got them all right. Got the whole thing right. Now, if Room I'd asked service, you, <laughs> drapes. So if I asked you first time round, you would have hardly got any of those words, yeah. you know, particularly a couple of minutes later. But by forming the visual image, which is using this thing that we have really good visual memories. So if you can take those verbal things and make them visual, particularly in bizarre imagery like that, then, then that's it. The, the, the bad news is that that list will be in your mind now. Uh, along with one one's racehorse for the rest of time. Well, can I ask about visual memory? Because I think mine might be quite poor. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite bad at faces. Right. So I think most people are quite bad at yes. But some people are 
so bad that universities want to study them for... Who would these people be? <laughs> that might be me. I think there's a sliding scale because there's someone I know who thinks they're a super recogniser mm-hmm. and I have developed all sorts of strategies for trying to remember or trying to get out of awkward situations where I have no idea who someone is. Yes. And my friend who's the other end of the spectrum is constantly saying, no, I don't think we've met before, because she reckons if she said, actually, it was in a bar in Barcelona in 96, then it might scare people. Yeah, look a bit weird. Yeah. Well, I don't have faces. Certainly putting names to faces, most people struggle with, which is sort of what you're saying there, because if you if you knew the person's name, it'd be rather helpful. Um, Roosevelt had this thing, which is that when he met... The first thing is to listen to the name. It's, it's, it's because, as I said before, you know, everyone just sort of passed straight by them. Listen to the name, and what he would do, Roosevelt, because he met a lot of people, is imagine their name written across their forehead. So it's using that visual thing. So sometimes you get quite a lot of name on my forehead. You get all the middle name and surname, and my bank details, everything <laughs> could go up there. Life uh, history. Life history, everything. So he, he, would, he would do that. Also, you can think, or do I know somebody else with that name, that first name? And you imagine again the two of them together. And all these things can start to help you remember someone's name. If it's a famous person, like, so if it's their name was Charles, for example, you might imagine them with a crown on their head because then, again, that visual memory will kick off next time you meet them. So there's not much you can do to remember faces, but there's a lot you can do to associate names with faces, which then helps you because then when you meet them again, you at least know there's an association there. And we've had a question from George about why we remember some things and not others. I always forget bad things that have happened. Why does my brain block them out? Is there memory in there, but I just can't access this? Well, this kind of gets into repressed memory and all of this stuff. So there is one argument, which is that when you experience something negative, you try and repress it, you push it out of consciousness. It's kind of a Freudian argument. Most of the evidence points the other way, which is when you experience something negative, you have trouble forgetting it. And, and actually what you want to do is try and move on, and this, this experience keeps kind of haunting you. But there are certain experiences that you might not want to talk about, and it isn't a pleasant thing to talk about and so on. And so you do push them away. That You're not really repressing them into the unconscious, you just know they're there and you don't want to, to talk about them, which means they're not getting rehearsed, which means you're going to, have, you're going to struggle, actually, uh, to remember them in the future, which might be a good thing. I mean, the other thing which is interesting with negative experiences is that sleep is a time when memories are consolidated. So if you do have a negative event that you want to forget and it's just happened to you, try and stay awake for 24 hours. Um, it actually prevents consolidation. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting the sense that memories are a bit like plants that... that- they need to be looked after. They needed to be tended to every so often, Ab- otherwise they die. Ab- absolutely. And because each time you, it's a very good analogy, because each time you tend to them, they grow, they change. And each time you go back to it, that's the new plant. And after a while, you won't remember what you started with. So that's a much closer analogy to how our, our minds are actually working. So memory is very, very malleable, but there are things you can do to improve your memory. Is there a sweet spot? So if something's too boring or too exciting or sort of too traumatic, then your brain just goes, no, I'm not going to make a memory of that. 
we don't need that in there. No, not not really. I, I think it's the work that it's it's doing. When we tell a story, normally we emerge the hero in that that story. It doesn't matter actually what happened in real life. You tell a story, or you are the hero. You did the right thing, or whatever it is. And after a while, a bit of false memory work, you come to believe that. I'm a social psychologist, so it's to do with the work that this story is doing. That's why when people remember these events, you know, they normally are telling you something wonderful that happened in their life and the great thing that, that they did. Of course, it has no bearing to what actually happened. And that's possibly why you don't remember something like your commute into work that you've done hundreds and hundreds of times because it's kind of boring and you wouldn't tell a story about it? Yeah, it's, it's partly that. And also there's no attention there because you've done it so many times, you're probably on autopilot and so on. So you're not even attending unless something unusual happens. But also, yeah, for most people, they don't get into the office and go, let me tell you about the last 45 minutes. And did that every night. There are some people like that. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not rehearsing it. Where you might go, oh my goodness, I went to see an amazing play last night. And you tell people... And then they'll tell that story again in a couple of weeks and so on. And they're the ones that grow uh, in your mind. What's amazing is that people will remember all the details of a story, but not remember how many times they've already told you that story. And, and that can be a bit painful. Oh, I'm getting into that era. I'm getting to that stage of like, let me tell you the anecdotes. And they're like, yep, Marnie, you had that one. how you say to somebody, actually, you told me that one yesterday. Because oh. you could just fast forward and end the anecdote for them, but it's not polite. I mean, the best thing to do with, with memory, to be honest, is to change your physical environment in order to help you remember. So the, the classic, you know, tying a, a knot in a handkerchief when we used to have handkerchiefs is actually a pretty good thing to do. But if you're trying to remember things, you know, take them out of wherever they are and put them by your door before you leave so you remember that thing. Actually changing your physical environment to help your memory is a really good idea. Make a list. Um, what's the thing about the handkerchief? Well, in the old days, people used to have handkerchiefs and they would tie a knot into the corner to rem if they had to remember something important. Okay. Yeah. Why didn't they just write it down? You had pen, didn't have pen and paint. This don't is say, don't, say, don't say you as if like I'm talking about these, these were Victorian people. Uh, and no, they, 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 they didn't have pencils. No, they didn't. Okay. It was, but they had handkerchiefs. Okay. Uh, no, did you actually? It's seriously? amazing how much they achieved. It is just handkerchiefs, yeah. built bridges, yeah. locomotives. Wow. Hold a second. Do you do you seriously not know about tying a knot in a handkerchief? No. Do you seriously not? Yeah. Know? No. No. That's that's a whole cultural reference. I because I've never had a pocket handkerchief. No, it's just something that I saw Victorians have off the telly. Yes, no, no, no. it was a big, a big thing, which was sort of offloading, you know. And and so now you take your handkerchief out, and you're always a knot there. There's something I meant to remember. Oh, but I, if only I'd written it down, then <laughs> then I'd be able to know what that thing is. Well, no, Whereas now I've just got a knot of worry that there's something I've forgotten. Now you've said that. Yeah, it's Maybe a, that's why it died out. It's quite a poor system. We've got phones now. Maybe you could invent an app that just ties a knot in a digital handkerchief. That would be quite handy, actually. And also tells you why. Here's the thing about phones. Study. Uh, two groups of people, they're let loose in an art gallery. One's allowed to take photos of the pictures. The others, they remove their mobile phones. Who remembers the exhibition best? I'm going to go with the people without the phones. Correct. Yeah, because they were paying more attention. Absolutely. So what they're doing, again, is offload. They're going, oh, I don't need to remember this because now I've got a picture of it. And, and so, therefore, you're not living in the moment. You're, you're just, again, doing this external memory bit and it doesn't... It's, it's, so I'm, I'm pro at attending to your surroundings rather than, than trying to record it. I can't understand people going out, go out for a great time and they keep on taking photographs. Like, when I'm really happy and having a great time, it never occurs to me to take a photograph. I'd just rather enjoy the good time. 
anyway, we, we haven't got back to that, that list right at the beginning. Oh, I'd forgotten. Absolutely. So I've got three words, and I'm going to use four words now, and you have to say, was, was this word on the original list or not? OK. There we go. Open, yes or no? Yes. Curtain, yes or no? No. Window, yes or no? Yes. Dog? No. Aha. Uh-huh. So you said yes to window. Oh, you've done that psychologist trick on me. False memory. False memory. They're all related to window, but window was not there. And so that's what we do. We we group things together. We kind of chunk them and go, these are all window related. And within whatever that was, 20 minutes or so, you've got this thing about, oh, window, that must have been on the list. And so that's that's another way of doing the false uh, memory research. Oh, clever. You've implanted a false memory in me. I've implanted a false memory, along with one one's a racehorse. And the zebra in the hotel bedroom. Yeah, the zebra's going to stay. The, the binary, the binaries. Uh, yeah, you say that. Yeah. You say that. So we've mentioned that some people are better at remembering things than other people. We've had a question sent in from Tom about a memory trick he once saw, which reminds me of some of the stuff that I saw at this memory championship. And he was saying it bordered on ridiculous. He said... I once saw someone memorise the order of an entire deck of cards which had been randomly shuffled beforehand. How? Even if you made up a story to connect to each card, you've still got to remember the story. Is that the memory palace at play there? Well, there's a few things that could be happening there. But yes, so, so normally, again, what you've got is a meaningless array. And what you're trying to do is convert that into something meaningful. So you could do the chunking, but it's easier to imagine walking around a house with 52 rooms and seeing the cards in each of the rooms, which is the memory palace idea. So it's very, very similar to the zebra uh, in, in your imaginary hotel room. But there... They've got a fixed stimuli, they've got the cards, and they'll go, right, OK, it's, often they'll do it along a high street. So they'll remember a high street with 52 shops, and you come up to the first shop, and it might be a butcher's shop, and you've got the you know, jack of diamonds. And so you imagine a huge jack of diamonds surrounded by meat in the butcher's shop, and then you move on to, to shop two, and you do that for all 52. Uh, it just sounds like hard work to me. I mean, that I think that's got to take a lot of time. And then you've got to get rid of it once you yes. want to remember the next deck of cards. That's the problem. Oh, OK. Because then you walk along the same high street and now you're sort of thinking, oh, there's a butcher oh, selling Jack of Diamonds yeah, yeah, from yeah. The, the previous one. So, you know, it's, it is kind of incredible. But everything, every single human ability is essentially distributed in a bell curve. So there's going to be people like you and I towards the lower end of that in terms of memory and other people who that visualisation comes very easily to them. But everything's like that. Height's like it. You know, perception is like everything. And and we're all distributed differently. So, you know, there's no one's down the end of every single bell curve. There'll be things that some people are good at and some things that some people are bad at. Um, I have remembered that the point of this show is to answer a thousand questions. Yes. And I should just say that we're totting up some nicely. Yes. Although um, I've forgotten how many. Um, I think we got through 25 yeah, okay. Mm, mm. False memory. I, I, I see your game. We've covered a lot here because um, we've shown how to use visualisation. We've shown how easy it is to get a false memory going with you and your, your windows. Uh, how to put a name to a face. And also if you can make other things meaningful. So, for example, which way you screw a screw to tighten it up or to loosen it which I always struggle with. I say righty-tighty-lefty-loosey. There we go, and you're never going to forget that. It's really useful. Yeah, and there's loads of those out there. So I, I think that's another way of just making it a bit more meaningful. We have changed people's memories in this episode. For the better? Yeah. Let's go with that. 
Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.